I just had a funny thought walking down the aisle. If you didn't know any better, you probably thought Toby was preaching tonight. <laughs> Am I right? Okay. Uh, no, you're off the hook on that one. Toby's all the way up in uh, Minnesota. So uh, we want to continue to keep our youth group uh, in our prayers as they're up there working with the floods and making an impact in Minnesota this week. The elders asked me if I would take us back a month or two ago to family camp and highlight a little bit of what happened there in the way of the theme, and I appreciate this opportunity. The elders led us to the, uh, the waters of family camp 30 years ago. This was our 30th annual. In fact, I remember walking down the hall a few months ago, and Cindy Tanny caught me and said, so what's our theme this year for the 30th annual family camp? And I said, well, Cindy, we're going to go with what got us there. Family. So our theme was, theme was family from uh, 1 Peter 2.17 is one of the scriptures we used. Um, that tree represents a lot of the themes and main points and main scriptures through a lot of the years that we've done camp. In fact, I grabbed a, one of our t-shirts. We color-coded the t-shirts this year every 10 years uh, with a different color. The first-timers got a special color, which was what? Orange. And then the, uh, the ones that have been there all 30 years got their own special color, royal blue, if I remember right. Um, but this tree has some, uh, some great things on it. Celebration from our 25th annual. Cross training, as in the cross. Um, the name of God we trust. The full armor of God. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, this one thing I do, press on to the goal. Stand in awe of God. One of my favorites, mold me and make me. Be strong, be courageous. That's just a sampling of some of them on the tree. I've got some oak trees in my yard that are around 35 years old, and uh, they get pretty good size by then, but that tree represents a lot of what's happened at camp over the years. And as I thought about family being our theme, we had our planning meeting, and then I was wondering, what am I going to hang on this theme to bring it to life for camp? And just so happened, Becky and I were in a class that Daryl and Elaine Denman were leading. It was a marriage class. And it was towards the end of that class, Elaine took a few minutes, and she did a demonstration called The Power of the Three Chairs, or The Secret of the Three Chairs. And it had a great effect on me. And I went up afterwards, and I was asking her about, I wasn't sure yet what I wanted to hang on this theme of family for family camp. And she said, why don't you use this? And the book that it comes from is one of Elaine's favorites from about 12 years ago, I think it was published, Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs, The Powerful Principle of the Three Chairs. And so Elaine helped us with that. In fact, she actually did this demonstration for all of our speakers at camp, and um, it was very helpful for them to see what was going to unfold as they did their piece of the puzzle with their subtopic, and that worked really well. So tonight, I'm thinking about several things as we go through this three-chair demonstration. Before I start on that, I'm mindful of the fact not only was this our 30th annual family camp, this is our 75th year as Northside. And that struck me as a, a neat coincidence, because if you think in terms of three generations in a family, you may be talking about anywhere from 60 to 90 years. So 75 is kind of right there in the middle in the sweet spot. So Northside is in this third generation phase of where we are. And as we go through this demonstration tonight, it's going to challenge you in several ways. 
is my hope and my prayer. It's going to challenge you individually of where you are spiritually. Where do you sit? It's going to challenge you in terms of thinking of your own personal family. It's going to challenge you in the way you think of your parents and your grandparents, how you came to be where you are because of what they did. And you're going to think about the future, the next generation and the one after that. You're going to think about Northside as a family of God. Where are we at as a congregation 75 years into serving God? You're going to think about our country. Where is our country at in serving God? And bigger than that, as we think about all of our missionaries, where they're at around the world, including our youth group, where is the world at in terms of spirituality? That's the foundation of where we're going to go tonight. Before I start, I'm just curious to ask, I'm going to go out on a limb with the tree theme here. Do we happen to have three generations of a family here tonight? Grandpa, grandma, son, daughter, grand, grandkid. We happen to have that in the audience? Nelsons? Could I impose on you to have three of you come up here and represent? I won't have you sit up here very long. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything but just sit in the chair. What I want to do is personify these chairs for a little bit. And then I'll turn you loose. So do we, we get, okay, we get Grandma up here. All right, good. Perfect. I'm going to let you sit in this chair. I'm going to let you sit in the middle chair. Will your mom need help upstairs? When she gets here? Okay. So she makes her way here. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What impact does family have on our lives? What impact does family have on our lives? Today I'm going to walk you through a demonstration using these three chairs. And with that in mind, um, we will go through this together. Come to this one. I'm going to have her come to this one. Can you come to this one for me? Sorry about that. You get the green one. All right. So we have an actual family to bring this to life. Now, as we go through this demonstration, I want you to visualize yourself. I want you to visualize your kids. I want you to visualize your parents, your grandparents. All of those things will come to mind as we go through this process and learn some things together. What I'm going to do is use some, some poster boards to focus on some key thoughts, and it's going to help us take this journey together tonight. We're going to be more in tune individually of where we sit spiritually, and we're going to be in tune as a family, as I mentioned, and as a church family. None of us goes through life alone. We don't get to walk through this life alone. The decisions we make, the things that we do affect people, and they have, they have an impact, and they cause things to happen in different ways. And so that's the way this, this is going to work. Something I want to say to each one of you guys is just because of what I'm going to say in a minute, I'm not saying it about you guys. You're just representing generationally what we're doing. So I'm not making any comments about you guys. I just want you guys to have the, the visual of someone sitting in these chairs as you think of whoever applies to you. So let's take this journey together. These three chairs represent generationally where we are in our spiritual walk. A chair one person, and you can think of grandpa or grandma in your family, that just is totally sold out for God, in the God 100%. The key word, and we'll have some C words as we go through this, the key word is commitment. Loves God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Totally committed, totally sold out to God, permeates their entire life. To go a little deeper, 
This chair one person, I'll let you just hold that right there. Knows God. Chair one person, their religion, if we describe it in a word, it's a relationship with God. God's first, self is second. And that's very consistent. They're shaped by God's word. They're in God's word. It's ingrained in them. It permeates their life. So that's a chair one person. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Let's think about chair two as we think generationally. Chair two, this one's going behind you. The C word for chair two is compromise. Compromise is the key word. Looks like commitment, best of intentions, inconsistent. This is a good person. This is a person that knows God. This is a person that's been converted, been baptized, knows the walk, maybe even has the, ver- the books of the Bible me- uh, memorized. But push come to shove, best of intentions, and all too often, in fact, let's just look at the next one and go a little deeper on chair number two. All too often, chair number two knows about God. If you described it in a word, their religion would be duty. It's something I have to do. I have to go to church. I have to punch my card. I have to do these things. Ultimately, too often, self comes first, God comes second, as things crowd in and around them through their daily life, shaped by other Christians. Now, you might say in response to that, well, what's wrong with that, being shaped by other Christians? Well, if you've got something serious going on in your life, and it's something that you need to really figure out and land on the right side of the issue. If you're open to other people that may or may not be chair one people and may not be ingrained in God's word, you could get multiple different ideas of what the answer is. And so what to the core is the true source of the reason of your decision? Who are you leaning on? Who are you trusting for those decisions? And so that's the chair two person. With that in mind, let's, uh, let's take a look at something. I'm going to go to Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 15. I'm going to start in 14. Joshua 24. This is where Joshua is at the end of his life, and he's kind of having his final words with the people. And remember, Joshua started out as a young man. He was one of the 12 spies, and he went into the and to spy out the land as directed by God. And he came back along with Caleb. It's one of the reasons I named my son Caleb. So I was impressed with uh, what this man Caleb did and what it says about Caleb when he was in his 70s or 80s. I'm still ready to go out and fight. And uh, still a man of God all through his life. But Joshua is now an old man. He's done all of this fighting to conquer the land under God's direction. And here's what he says to his people. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers, worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, as for me, chair one, and my household, chair two, we will serve the Lord. So there's our generational thing that we're talking about. Before we go to chair three, let's turn over and look in Judges. Just a few chapters over in the next book. We get to Judges, and we know that God had told the people to, when they went into the promised land, they were supposed to eliminate those people. 
They had been so evil in God's eyes, he had given the land to the Israelites, his chosen people, and they were supposed to eliminate those people. Let's look in chapter 1, in verse 27. And I'm just going to hop down through every couple of verses. It says, But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethsham or uh, Tanak or Dor or Iblim or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements. Verse 29, Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer. The Canaanites continued to live there among them. Verse 30, Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahalal, who remained among them. Verse 31, Nor did Asher drive out those living in Akko or Sidon or Ab- Alab or Akzib or Helba or all those other words. Verse 33, Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath. Verse 34, the Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country. Did they do what God asked? Self first, God second, best of intentions, inconsistent. Um, They didn't quite get it done. So what's the result of this as we introduce the third chair? Let's look at chapter 2, verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua... And of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, so they're dead and gone, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. It's third generation. That's the grandkids. Isn't that amazing? That's the generational shift of what's going on. So let's talk about chair three for a little bit. Chair three, the C word is conflict. That's pretty descriptive of what's going on with the chair three person. Commitment to self. They rely on self for most everything. God might be on the tongue, but self is on the throne because they pretty much are beholden to whatever they decide they want to do. That's a chair three person. Let's dig a little deeper. Chair three person knows not God. The religion in a word, if we described it, would be self. All about self-satisfaction. What's in it for me? What do I want to do? What do I feel like doing? Shaped by society. Whatever the societal norms are, whatever is the thing of the day, that kind of rounds out the chair three person. So there's, there's the three chairs, and there's the generational changeover that we see using Joshua and the elders. And it says in there that the elders, um, i go back, I might not be able to spot it right now, but um, it said that the elders had said they would, uh, oh, here we go, back to Joshua 24. When Joshua challenged them and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the people answered, this is verse 16 in chapter 24, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God. Now this is the people who end up being number two, second generation. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us. On our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. 
we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. So they experienced and seen these great works of God. And yet, we just read a second ago about the next generation after them when they had died away. They didn't have personal knowledge of. They hadn't seen God working in their lives so that that transfer took place. And so, this is the three chairs. We have some more we're going to talk about, but I want to stop there for a minute. I'm going to let you guys go, and I appreciate your help in just letting us take a look at this generational thing. As they make their way back... What I want to mention is we have examples also from the Old Testament about some other families. In fact, at camp, um, Paul Harrington started us off, and he talked about pivotal moments in our lives. For him, it was a handshake of somebody that confronted him at church, if I remember correctly, that caused him to step up to another level. Maybe it's an incident in our lives. Maybe it's the influence of another person. My prayer for some of you is that tonight perhaps might be a pivotal moment just because of the reality of what this smacks you with over the head of where you are and what's going on and how it affects your family. Um, thank you all for your help. I appreciate that. Brian Middleton, on his talk at camp, focused in on chair number two and some of the ins and outs of that. Um, in fact, I highlighted some of the things that these guys said at camp that I appreciated for for Paul, it was that example of his own personal life, of, of, of a moment in time that changed things for him, where he saw things differently and made a new commitment on a new level. Brian, in focusing on the challenge of chair two, the pain of the middleman was the title of his, he talked about how Solomon, so let's think about this, King David, a man after God's own heart, Solomon, who was raised listening to his dad, who wrote all the Psalms and all of the other things we know about David, who, now, chair one people aren't perfect. Don't misunderstand. They're not perfect. David was a chair one person. We, the Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. He made some major mistakes in his life. But a chair one person owns up to those mistakes when they realize they're not square with the word, and they correct it, and they move on. They move on. Solomon's here. By the end of his life, Solomon, he'd, he'd, God gave him a chance for that... The genie option of you get one wish of whatever you want. And what did he wish for? Wisdom. Great choice. Great choice. We look through his life and we look at how many wives and concubines he had and all of the other things that happened as the gods of his wives influenced him where he fell away in many ways in his latter years. Second generation. Who came after him? His son Rehoboam. Rehoboam was not for God. Rehoboam did a lot of evil in God's eyes. Third generation again. We have Abraham. We have Isaac. We have Jacob. Jacob was, uh, I remember what Elaine said about that, was a feisty guy. He was a challenge. Now, can God use these people? And does God work through them? And can we move? There's some rules I need to tell you about these chairs. Number one, this is not a perfect illustration. I probably said that before already, but I want to reiterate it. Can we shoot holes full of it into it? Yes. It's not going to apply 100%. But what we want to do is look at the big picture from 30,000 feet. All of us have sat, if we're Christians, all of us have sat in one chair at one time or other. No chair is permanent. No chair is permanent. A three can move to two, or a three can move to one, a one can move to three, two to move to one. No chair is permanent. 
in this illustration. So those are the caveats we have. Um, let's think about this in some other ways. Let's talk about these people a little bit. Um, let's go a little deeper on what these people are like. I chair one person with commitment. Another word we might use is reliable. I said earlier, this person's a good person. They have good intentions, but they're inconsistent because it doesn't permeate their life. Chair three probably doesn't care. What about their convictions? Chair one person, their convictions are holy and pure because they're in line with God's word. What about chair number two? Well, they're principled people in a lot of ways, in some areas, but they kind of cherry pick depending on what fits the moment and where they're at. Chair three person would say, whatever works for me. Chair one, what you hear from them is what you see from them. Chair two might be situational. Maybe some Bible, maybe some world's principles. Um, chair three, as we already figured out, kind of have their own standards and their own way of doing things. Kind of a God to themselves, I suppose. What kind of person is a chair one person? Is a chair one person fun to be around? Enjoyable? Because of the way they approach life? Yes, they should be. Absolutely. What about chair two? Well, it might depend on the circumstances. You know, in our society, we wear a lot of hats. We go to work with a hat. We go to the ball game with a hat. We go to home and we are a wife or a husband with a hat. And we change those hats on and off all the time. And it could be that someone's a chair one person in one place and something else in another. And that goes on in our society. As Brian pointed out in his talk, that's something we can't really do much of these days where it's all consistent. We're challenged with all of these different facets we have in our lives to be consistent. Um, what about working? Let's look at that. Chair one person would probably see their work as their calling, their attitude, their actions, their motives, whether they have a good, good boss or bad boss, or things are going well at work or not going well at work. They're consistent in the way that they portray that. As recently, in recent years, has been a challenge for me. I think I might have slipped from one to two because of some things that had gone on with my work. So many changes, I couldn't digest it all. And I, I got pretty resentful for a while. And it's been tough to get over and to work through for me. Um, I don't know that my attitude, my actions, and my motives have always stood the test these last two or three years. What about the chair two person? If, if work is going good, they see God blessing them when things are good. But if, if you go by that definition as opposed to chair one person, if things aren't going well, maybe work's not going well or things aren't going well at home, then, then that would mean that God's not blessing me. So it's a, like a switch, an on and off thing. God's not good all the time, if you translate that, I suppose. Chair three, status quo, whatever serves me best in terms of job and work. What about spiritual? You know, Jesus made a statement that was pretty succinct. I would rather that you were hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Because he wants all of us. He wants our heart and our minds and our lives. So God is good. God is good sometimes. Three, who is God? Who is God for me? This is a first-hand faith. This is a second-hand faith. Not really much faith at all. It's something they're not familiar with. Don't really know. Chair one person is going to follow through on things. 
a big word for them would be trust. Somebody you can trust on, trust in and count on. If you ask them to do something or they say they're going to do something for you, they'll do it. That's whether it's a worker or a parent with their child or whatever the case may be. Again, a good person here. Good-hearted person, good intentions, well-intentioned, just doesn't always carry through all the way. Tier three, probably doesn't really care unless it's something that could help them personally. God first, something Jesus talked about a lot, serves God in money or God in the acquiring of things which controls much of our lives. And as we've already said, pretty much serves herself in the third chair. Chair one knows God. Chair one knows the word. Chair two respects the Bible. Chair two can quote the Bible. As I said before, chair two might be able to even cite the books of the Bible because they grew up going to church. They've seen all of this. Like the Israelites, they saw the things that went on in their home and the way they grew up. But for some reason, they're at a point where they just have let things slip and slide and they've compromised. The key word, compromise. Chair three probably has a Bible somewhere, and if grandpa or grandma's coming over, maybe they'd find it and lay it out somewhere where they could see it. Chair one knows God, trusts God. Chair two maybe cherry picks a little bit, depending on what the topic is. And chair three would probably be asked the question, why trust in anyone but me? So those are three chairs. How does it work? On a more individual level, I started to mention what some of the guys did at camp, and uh, I mentioned Brian already. Jim Weathers actually took us back and talked more specifically about um, Solomon and Rehoboam and Joshua and those details. And one of the things that he pointed out was Toby has in his office a wall full of pictures of kids that have passed through since Toby's been here, all the years he's been here. And if you go and took account on that wall of people that are involved and active at Northside or anywhere, it's an appalling percentage that isn't. They're not active and engaged. Um, and so Jim revealed three truths. He said we'll all occupy the first chair in the sense that we'll all end up, most of us will end up being a parent and have that responsibility of somebody coming behind us. In that sense, we're looked to as a first chair. The, truth, the second truth he mentioned was we will all share, shed tears for those in the third chair because we know ultimately every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. The third truth, we have the ability to influence the type of tears we'll shed, but we can't dictate them. We can do our part in the way we influence by the decisions we make and the things that we do. John Dunham talked about the monster in the garage. And that's something in our life that may not, even, may not really be a secret, but it's just something we keep denying that is controlling us, that we haven't confronted. And so he challenged us, and this was the men's, um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't the men's time. He was challenging the men and women together at that point, and he challenged us to take an inventory of our sin and what we haven't really confronted in terms of we just the fact we've been denying it and challenged us to put that out in the open and deal with it, confront it. Sean Clothier did the men's class, and in a bold way, as I, as I always hoped for in the men's class, he lowered the boom on us, and he basically said, we need to get our rear end out of whatever chair we're in, if it's not number one, 
And if we can't go and sit ourselves in the first chair, he challenges us to go get near somebody that is chair one. And he said, they're probably not sitting. They're probably busy working and doing something. And I thought that was a neat point. Get by somebody that's serving and doing the Lord's work and learn from them and let some of what they're doing rub off on you. Uh, and he made a statement I wrote at the bottom of my notes from, from Sean. He's offended when culture says that women are more spiritual than men. Remember, this was a men's class. And he laid that challenge to us. Why is it that we concede that point, men, and, and allow the women to take the lead in an area that God placed us to be over in terms of our homes and our families? A good challenge. And then, then there's Rose Shady. That uh, From a tip from Cindy Tandy, I asked Rose, and uh, it was a fun experience working with her. She took the women's class, and I'm told from a lot of positive feedback from the women that were there, I don't think she even got to her notes. Um, she's a bundle of energy. She's a little firecracker, and yet she challenged those ladies. What Rose lacks in syntax, in control of the English language, she more than makes up for in her commitment, her undeniable commitment, and her enthusiasm. And I appreciate her so much for that. In fact, from her notes, I highlighted true submission begins in the heart with an attitude of respect. A wife puts all of her hope in God. She has God, and that is enough. So her attitude of submission stems from her relationship to God. Her ability to submit comes from her walk with the Lord. And then she had this challenge that she had in the notes that she provided. Married or single, if you get all wrapped up with your own needs and wants, you're missing some significant opportunities. I challenge you to look at your priorities. The ways you serve God and others are only things are the only things that will count in eternity. And that's from Rose's notes. In fact, in thinking about Rose, I've enjoyed reading her updates from over there in the Philippines. And she's over there working right now. She's lost her voice. I don't show the status of that. I meant to ask her heavy earlier. Let's just say a prayer for her right now since she's over there actively engaged. Father in heaven, we come before you at this time thinking of Rose with the dedication and the love that she has for her home country. And she's grateful and loves her family that she has here. She has her son with her. We know her husband is uh, missing her now, Dan. And we are thankful for her willingness to go and to have so many opportunities to teach women and children about you. We ask that you bless her work and help her to maintain the energy that she needs and to, to, to be healthy so that she can do the most for you in her time there. And we pray that her voice will hold out so that she can continue to share your truths with those that she encounters from place to place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tyler Perry closed us out, just challenging us with the commitment to build a family legacy if we hadn't thought about it recently and hadn't done well in that. And so let's take one more look at a couple of areas, and then I'll be done. How does this play out in terms of a marriage? For a chair one person, we'll just pick a couple of topics, marriage and, and kids. It's unconditional covenant. God made a covenant with his people and he said, I will not break this covenant with you. Even though they sinned against him, they turned their back on him, he doesn't break his covenants. And that's the way a chair one person approaches marriage. We know this is a messed up, crazy world we live in and a lot of things happen that are out of our control. But to the best of our ability... All in, all for God, as much as possible. And that's what uh, I'm grateful to our elders for the way that they have held that standard up. Even as we support and love and work with those that 
have been knocked over by life's, life's challenges. A chair two person on marriage, it's a conditional contract. If you think about marriage in our society today, um, we don't ever hear the word covenant unless it's at the wedding ceremony. Contract, it's just another thing in life that we do. And if somebody doesn't hold up to their end of the bargain, well, that was fun while it lasted and it's over with and that's it. And we move on. That's how that is seen from a chair two perspective. Chair three on marriage, it's a legal convenience. I don't know, maybe it's a tax purpose or just convenient time because of where they're living and the job and pursuing what works for them, as we talked about before. And that's how marriage shapes up as we think about these chairs in this, in this demonstration. Let's think about parenting. In parenting, these parents apply Bible principles, and they do it with confidence. Maybe that's a word we don't hear related to parenting much anymore these days. Not that, and I said before, chair one people aren't perfect. Not that they're perfect. We're not talking about perfect parents. We're talking about parents that use Bible principles and with confidence, because they know God and they trust God, they raise godly children is their goal. What has that transpose to a second chair person? Parenting, they're influenced by principles. Remember, these are good people. We're around a lot of them all the time. Influenced by principles may not always be Bible principles. It may be from some of those other conversations they had we talked about earlier. They're hopeful. They parent hopefully. They hope. We, we, we hear this phrase, and we, we all hope we raise our kids right and raise them well and that they do well. We're talking about something a little bit different than the Bible focus hopeful in a general sense, and they want to raise religious children. Let us hope they turn out right, that it's, in society's view, they're good kids, and they have that religious aspect to them. Is there a difference between godly children and religious children? you think there would be a difference in that? Definitely. A chair three person, as they confront parenting... As always, in their, in their uh, line they're in, they choose their own approach. They're confused. They raise successful children as their hope. They want them to go to the right school. They want them to get the right job so they can make the, make the right amount of money. And that's a worthy goal for them. But we see two words that stand out there with the chair three person, the conflict and the confused. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? Let's think about that for a minute. As we close this down. When you think about the Israelites and Joshua and the next generation, they didn't do what God said. They didn't drive the people out. They started making those compromises. And what happens in our lives today as we make compromises in whatever areas we do, our kids come along and they see these inconsistencies. And so the phrase comes about that is one that's pretty irritating to me actually. Uh, from time to time, is, you know, I don't want to go to church with all those hypocrites. All those hypocrites. They say one thing and do another. That's chair two stuff. That's not chair one stuff. So what, what seeing this demonstration, probably one of the best things I got out of it was, visualize a barrier right here. The barrier is all the compromising and the giving in and the not quite on track with God's word and God's will that happens with the chair two people. And the poor kids come along 
and they see the inconsistencies, they see the way mom and dad conduct themselves at home versus at church, or how they conduct themselves in work versus at church, or whatever else might go on, and all of that's screaming at them, and they can't see what Nora Winters is doing, or Lewis Tandy, or uh, all of the other pillars that have passed away that have been at Northside in the past. They can't see it because they're lost in this mumbo-jumbo that's going on. And they get conflicted internally. And they get confused. And they get angry. And they get bitter. Because they don't understand how it's supposed to really be. So the best thing we can do is make changes and decisions in our lives that are as much as possible reflecting the chair one approach. Joshua's approach. All in, 100%. Then by the decisions we make and the things that we do and the people we do things with, we can shine that light and sprinkle that salt the way we're supposed to be salt and light to the world. Not only for our families generationally, but for all those we come in contact with. So this is a daily thing. They're in the Word. They know the Word. They trust God through the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's not one day good God and the next day bad God. He's not blessing me. It's not that inconsistency. The kids, kids don't miss anything. Kids absorb it all. They know what's going on. And so the thing that I want you to come away from this with is that there's always hope. I don't want anybody sitting out there thinking, well, I'm dirty dog done. I can't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm irretrievable. We have a God that redeems us. He will redeem the brokenhearted and those that come to him looking for help. And that's the hope that we have as Christians. That's the hope that we have because we know God and we know who he is. And we know how he operates. And so that hope should be the driving force in helping us make some decisions to do things different. So in my final, my final reminder is, remember this isn't a perfect illustration. It doesn't fit all things in all ways. No chair is permanent. So my question as I close out for you tonight is, the good news is we can change. The good news is God redeems our personal choices and our personal faith affects our lives and the generations to come. What chair are you sitting in? What chair are you sitting in? What chair are you sitting in pertaining to work? What chair are you sitting in pertaining to home? What chair are you sitting in for whatever else you do in life? What impact will you have on your family in the days to come? What chair do you want to be sitting in? What chair do you want to be sitting in? And the last question I'll ask you is the focus of Ryan's sermon at family camp on Sunday. Who do you really serve? Who do you really serve? With that in mind, if this has triggered anything that causes you to need to want to change something, to let something be shared with this congregation of people that will help you, the, our shepherds will help you and guide you, we want to help. If you haven't given your life to the Lord yet, and you want to start stepping your way up to where you want to be, where you know you ought to be, this is a perfect time to do it. So my hope and my prayer is tonight that this demonstration will be something that will live with you as you go down the road from here. And you will think about it from time to time and think about how you're doing in your family, your extended family, those you're around at work, as you sit in one chair or another and make those choices. Who do you want to serve? If we can help you, come forward as we stand and sing.